Welcome to Future Hindsight. I'm Mila Atmos. How can we move voters to the ballot box with love? That's our question for today's guests on Future Hindsight from the Love Vote, which provides a platform for people who cannot vote to encourage those who can to do so. We are joined by Esther de Rothschild, the founder, and Aisha Sharif, the outreach director. Esther is a former high school teacher and a filmmaker, and the reason this organization exists. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And Aisha Sharif is a student and filmmaker whose passion is about improving the policies that impact immigrants, women, and young people. Welcome, Aisha. Thank you. Esther, your vision is for all voices to be heard, especially of teens, immigrants, and formerly incarcerated people. Tell us about how Love Vote works. So the Love Vote is a platform for people who can't vote. There are over 50 million people in this country over the age of 13 who can't vote because they're too young or they're not U.S. citizens or they've been disenfranchised because of a felony conviction. And on our platform, we share their stories in short videos. They share those videos with their loved ones and other people promise to vote on their behalf. And then we follow up with those voters to help them keep their promise by sharing their polling place information, by sending them stickers, and by reminding them of the commitment that they made. So you basically have a network that's localized around the person who created this video. Right. It's basically what they call relational organizing, where one 15-year-old can share their story, share a personal experience about why voting matters to them, and then they share it with their friends, family, teachers, anyone that they know, and mobilize those people to vote, even if those people don't particularly believe in the system or care about the candidates, they'll vote because they love that person, and that person cannot vote, and that person moved them to do so. The person who cannot vote, does this person direct his or her network to vote a certain way? No. The idea is if you can't vote, you're called a mover because you can move other people to vote. And you trust that they will go vote with your best interest in mind. They're going to vote because they love you. They're going to vote because you ask them to. And if you're saying, I have temporary protected status... This is my home. I've built my life here for the last 10 years, but now I'm facing deportation in 10 months. If 100 people promise that they'll vote on my behalf, I trust that they're not going to vote for the candidate who's going to support that deportation. How do you know if, let's say, you have 100 people who pledged to vote for you if all 100 of them showed up? We did a test in Alabama for the Senate race there, and we found that 81% of people who promised to vote voted in the Senate election. Of course, we would like 100%, but only 40% of Alabamans showed up. So more than twice as many of our what we call love voters did show up on election day. And that was very promising. And now we've refined our system beyond what it was in December, where we really follow up with people with text messages, with personal back and forth conversations to make it as easy as possible for them to keep their promise. That's very impressive. Tell us a little bit more about the movers. What's your most common profile in terms of sheer numbers? It's pretty even amongst three main groups of people who are not U.S. citizens. 
There's a wide range of statuses that they do have, whether it's TPS, DACA, asylum seekers, people with student visas, green cards. The teenagers are age 13 to 17, and they also have a range of issues that they care about from gun safety to education reform. And then for people who are returning citizens, also known as formerly incarcerated people or people with felony convictions, they are mostly in Florida because Florida has the highest proportion of people who are disenfranchised for life, which is 10% of people who should be eligible to vote. They all are hoping to have their right to vote restored on November 6 through this ballot initiative called Amendment 4. Tell us a little bit more about Amendment 4 and why it's important. So Amendment 4 is a ballot initiative that would restore the eligibility to vote to over 1.4 million Floridians who have been disenfranchised essentially for life after a felony conviction, which could be for a small amount of drug possession or writing a bad check for several hundred dollars. And they've completed not only their sentence, but their parole, probation, paid their fines, and still cannot vote. People who have not been convicted of murder or a sex felony offense would be able to vote again. And moving forward, anybody in that position would also be eligible to vote again. And so it would make a really huge difference in the state of Florida. And I'm very optimistic that it will pass. Why did you choose love to be the driving force to fulfill your vision of a more just and caring society? The time that we're living in is so toxic and so driven by hatred and by fear that I don't think we're going to get out of that by using those same negative feelings. I think we need to activate something that is often seen as being fluffy, but actually is extremely powerful. It's something that has been underutilized and that could really, really drive the kind of change that we're looking for. When you create something, it is shaped by what it is made of. You make something out of wood, you might paint it and do other things, it's, it's still gonna be wood. And so you build a movement on hatred. It may grow quickly, because hatred spreads quickly, but it's gonna rot from the inside. You build something out of love, it might take more time, it might not seem as strong or formidable in the beginning, but it's built on love, so it's gonna last. That's very beautiful. How do you reach movers? How do they know that they have this opportunity to shoot a video and share it with their friends and family and compel them to vote? In many different ways, but one primary way is that we have a lot of partner organizations on the ground. And they said to us, this is someone who should be a mover. They've been doing wonderful work. We know them well. Can you share their story in a video? So we made videos with those people. And people sometimes came to us also saying, I want to be a mover, I want to share my story. And we either made a video about them or anyone now can upload their own video with a cell phone. In 10 minutes, they can just film themselves, upload it, and then share that with their networks. And so that has been through podcasts like this, being able to just get the word out so that people can log on to thelovevote.org and become movers themselves. I went to your website, and I watch a bunch of videos, and they're truly moving. And which one of these to you was, in a way, the most surprising? Something that is a story that you haven't seen a lot. 
I have a video. Yes, tell us, Aisha. <laughs> the way we sort of view immigration, there has been a lot of talk on DACA because of the policies that are being formed surrounding that issue. For me, Alex's video, who is on TPS, that's something I've never heard of. So I was actually educating myself. I searched up what TPS was because I was so moved by her story. It wasn't something like DACA, and it was something that was very temporary. For me, that was the most surprising story. Let's explain what TPS is. I think it's you're able to be on temporary protective status if there was an immediate danger. For a lot of Haitian people, it was the earthquake. In Alex's case, she was able to move here after the earthquake and start a life here. And temporary protective status is renewable, but it isn't being renewed. A lot of countries have essentially an expiration date of when they have to go back. So there is a date where like, you have to pack up your bags and leave the country. I think that something that was surprising was when we filmed Brett's video, we filmed him and his wife and his baby daughter and realizing that they had known each other in high school and that she had seen him succumb to substance abuse and really had seen him at his worst. They were next door neighbors and yet 10 years later, she marries him, they have a baby, She's behind him 100%. And she's out there talking about second chances for Amendment 4, but really she's living that idea of a second chance in such a beautiful, powerful way. She's not the mover. But I think it was an example of how if you look at the best in people and if you trust in the possibility of change, that you'll be rewarded in the way that she was. How did you get started with this? What was your motivation to get this off the ground? Well, I was a high school teacher for many years, and after the election in 2016, some of my students were just expressing their frustration with the fact that they were going to now have to live with the consequences of other people's decisions, that they were too young to vote, and the next four years of their life were going to be determined by other people's votes and by people who had not voted. And... That resonated with me because I moved to this country as a small child, but I didn't become a citizen until my 30s. And I became a citizen in order to vote. I just started thinking about how many people cannot vote. And in addition to the young people and immigrants and also returning citizens, even started thinking about people in places like Puerto Rico who are U.S. citizens but who can't vote in elections like the midterms. And so I started talking to a lot of friends and then people I didn't know who know a lot about voting and the Internet and all these spaces that I wasn't as familiar with. Everybody just said this doesn't really exist. There is no platform devoted only to people who can't vote for all reasons. And so I decided to try to do it. And our friend gave us the idea of modeling the site off of crowdfunding platforms. That has been our inspiration. And in this case, if you want to make an impact in election and you can't vote, you go out and you can do crowd voting and you can say, I want to raise 50 votes or like Aisha, who's already at 160 or something. But you set a goal, you share it with your community and you raise the votes together. So... That's how it started. Do you target people who wouldn't normally vote then? 
in your network? You, for example, I always vote. So would somebody like me count or would you purposely try and find the people who don't have a habit of voting? Everybody counts the same on our site, but ideally we want to move people who would not have voted. And it may be that there are people who voted in the presidential election, but wouldn't have voted in a primary for a midterm. And so we, we want people to show up at times that they would not have otherwise. And if it's someone who always, always votes, the reason why it still matters to us is now they're voting thinking about TPS or they're voting thinking about Amendment 4, and they have another level of motivation and of care and of thought going into the ballot box. You want all voices to be heard. Tell me what you believe is the power and the value for an individual and ultimately for society when every voice is included. I did think about this before we started this project of saying, would I want every single eligible voter to show up to vote? And I would. I truly think if every single person voted, it wouldn't maybe always go exactly the way I wanted, but we would have a much better government because I do think that most people are not just voting for their own wallet or their own self-interest, but they actually care about other people and the planet and what's right. So it's as simple as that. If everybody showed up, because most people are mostly good, we'd end up with a better government to represent us. Yes, I agree. So, Aisha, you'll turn 18 soon. This means you're not eligible to vote just yet. And you are, as you mentioned, a permanent resident. What does it feel like to be a part of a society without the right to vote? As a kid growing up, it wasn't something that was important to me. And I didn't realize that how much this would actually impact my life until about two years ago when one day my grandmother was afraid to go outside because she was watching the news about ICE and deportation and seeing her fear shifted my view of what voting means. And I started thinking more about policies and how it's impacting real people because I was seeing it in my life. The first feelings I've had of just like not being able to vote was frustration because I actually know so many people who don't. I was thinking, if you have the right to vote, why don't you do it? It's the simplest thing. My thought process changed from thinking like, oh, I can't vote, there's nothing I can do, versus I can vote and I can make an impact, which is what led me to the love vote, wanting to actually take action and be more inspired to create change. Does encouraging others to vote make you feel like you're voting, almost? It's not even about making me feel like I'm voting. I think the love vote is sort of changing how we view voting. When people promise me to vote, they're saying that they're voting for me. And it's not that I'm asking, like, oh, I want to live um, vicariously through you. It's more just, like, keep me in mind because you do care about me being a student and me being um, an immigrant. And I think that that's more rewarding of, like, someone generally who wouldn't vote at all actually voting for me. Since you are the outreach director, what is it that you do for love vote? How do you do it? So originally, I started off as an intern of just writing letters, and I think it quickly became so much more. Why I was interested in the love vote was because of the amalgamation of activism and film. So I did have a film interest, and I wanted to help with the production of films, and I got to like direct a film of my friend who was focused on education reform. So that was really fun, and then do pre-production work for another video that we're making on Amendment 4. Then I was also researching things on states 
And gradually it just turned into a lot more work as the Love Boat sort of grew. The biggest thing I'm focusing on now is sort of like getting more people to utilize the user-generated aspect of the website, which is creating their own videos. What is your hope for the midterm election? I hope that enough people are elected at all levels, particularly in the House, hopefully in the Senate, and then governor, the judges, everybody, where we can have a much more decent and caring and respectful government in place where families are not being separated, where women are not being threatened and the assault of women is not being shrugged off and other groups are not under attack and refugees are not being kept out. I mean, there's so many things that are pretty inhumane that are happening at the moment and there's many ways to combat that. One of those ways is by just changing the people who are in power. Do you feel confident that there will be more people voting because of the love vote? If this is the time where people are showing up and no matter the outcome, but voting becomes something that people start to do regularly, people who weren't even political in the last year or never voted. I think that now it's becoming um, something that more people are doing because they understand the impact of voting in general and not just for the president, but for the governors and the senators and people who are in our city council. I can say that there are people that promised me to vote that would have never voted in the midterms. And they're also being reminded through the love vote of like, this election is coming up and your polling place or you're constantly being held accountable on all your elections. So I think that it's going to be a great outcome. I like that you're holding them accountable for the midterm election, showing up and voting. If there is a false narrative out there about people who are disenfranchised or not voting, what do you think it is? And what is a message for those people? I think that a lot of people in this country get written off because they don't have money or they're not educated or their ethnicity or where they live or their religious views or anything. And people who don't vote get written off because people think that they're never going to vote because they don't care or they don't know enough or whatever it is. Not many people try to speak to them or reach out to them unless they're trying to score points and then forget about them after election day. There's millions and millions of people who don't vote, partly because there's a lot of voter suppression. We have elections on Tuesdays. You need ID that's expensive. There's a lot of barriers to voting. There's no reason why any person in this country who wants to vote can't. For some people, it's just about realizing that your vote matters. It may not matter that much to you. It may not matter in the election because of gerrymandering or the Electoral College or whatever, but your vote does matter to someone you love. And that's enough reason to just get up early on a Tuesday or mail in a ballot. How about you, Aisha? Something I've been thinking about recently is sort of how polarizing politics can be and how media has become something that's just been fueled by a lot of hate and anger. If people who can't vote would just watch the videos on the site, because 
not one candidate is mentioned, not one side or political term. It's not really about that. It's more just like, can you sort of connect to humanity? And can you connect to just what makes us humans? I feel like when I'm doing something for someone, you're willing to take the extra step and actually follow through. So I feel like if they understand the stories behind those who can't vote, they'll show up. Looking into the future, what makes you hopeful? Aisha, you go first. I think that what made me hopeful is sort of the community that's come out of this. We send a text out, if you voted, because the primaries in New York City just happened. So I was like, if you voted, please send a photo of, like, the I voted sticker. And so many people were sending photos to my Instagram of, like, selfies of people smiling and saying that they voted. I've been thinking about the policies. I've been thinking about all the things that are happening. But the thing that keeps me calm is that there are people who are doing good work. And that's what just makes me hopeful about my future as someone who's so young. And I'm not as worried as I would have been perhaps a year ago. I think there are two things that make me hopeful. One has been working with these grassroots organizations who are doing such amazing work, going door to door, getting messages out, who've been around for years and really understand the communities that they're in. And I I think that they are going to turn out a lot of people for the right reasons in the right way. And the other is that I'm working with Aisha every day. And when you're with someone who represents a future. And there's a lot of people in that generation who know what's going on and want to do the right thing and are out there doing it. You can't be jaded or cynical. You can just do the best that you can do and feel hopeful about it. Thank you both for being on Future Hindsight. And thank you for your work. It's totally amazing. Everybody, please go to www.thelovevote.org. And you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Love Vote or Twitter at The Love Vote Says. We'd love to keep in touch. (laughs) Thank you. One of my favorite things about doing this show is meeting people who jump in and make our world a better place. Upon hearing the frustration of her high school students, Esther de Rothschild felt that there must be a way to give them a voice in our democracy. What's genius about The Love Vote is that it takes relational organizing to another level. It isn't simply that you care, but you are moved by your love for a person who cannot vote. What could be more powerful than making a commitment to someone in your inner circle that affects the larger community? The success in Alabama is proof that spreading the message of voting on behalf of a person you love, to whom your vote matters, encourages higher voter participation. Promising to vote for someone creates accountability for showing up on election day. There is no better motivation than this. I hope that you too are moved by love for your family, your friends and colleagues, your greater community, and this nation to vote on November 6th. Why is the census vital for our democracy? On the next episode of Future Hindsight, our guest is Ashley Allison. She's the executive vice president at the Leadership Conference, which is the nation's premier civil and human rights coalition. I think I would tell people 
to encourage them to participate in the census is because when they are counted, they are seen and resources can come to your community. If you take public transportation and we don't know you're there and we don't know you use public transportation, how can we fund it properly? How can we make sure there's proper access for you to have a bus route come through your community? If companies don't know you need a grocery store in your community because they don't know how many people are residing there or how populations are shifting or how demographics are changing. We can't make accurate decisions. Until next time, I'm Mila Atmos. Thank you for listening to Future Hindsight. The executive producer and host of this program is Mila Atmos. The audio producer and music composer is Peter Fedak. The associate producer is Miriam Tsumbu. Find us online at futurehindsight.com and listen to us through your favorite streaming services. Mm-hmm.